Well, good morning, church. It's exciting to be here with you today. Praise God from whom all blessings flow, right? Amen? Now, you've got to remember, I'm not the amen guy. I was an old Episcopalian boy. Uh, Lingle is a great amen guy. And amen is definitely a part of worship. And in fact, I found a passage that I think is great uh, for this. And that is uh, in 1 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 36. It says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen. So collectively, as a group, they're all saying amen. Now, you've got to remember, Lingle's more the amen guy. He grew up in a Baptist background. I grew up in an Episcopalian background and accepted Christ when I was in college. And so I, I'm not good at the amen thing. I, I don't ask for it at the right times always, and I don't always say it at the right time. In fact, last week, I was the only one here in the room, and I think I threw Lingle off once or twice when I said amen kind of on the wrong tempo or the wrong timing. And so I want to encourage you, say your amens, whether I ask for them or not, because that is definitely a part of worship and has been for a very, very long time. Well, uh, th today is Palm Sunday. It's the day that Jesus fulfilled Zechariah 9.9. In Zechariah 9.9, we see that um, uh, uh, Zechariah saying this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. So he's talking about Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus fulfilled that on this day, the last day of his life, or the last week of his life, during Passion Week. And I want to encourage you at 2 o'clock every day, uh, this week, leading up to Easter, uh, there's going to be at two o'clock uh, on YouTube a live uh, devotional. And I've encouraged people and, and I've sent an email out that has a list of some of the passages you can read leading up to Easter. I want to encourage every family, read the passage together at least before two o'clock or before you watch the video. Uh, if you miss it at two o'clock, you can watch it on YouTube later, or you can watch it also on Facebook. And so I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, also, next Sunday being Easter, we're going to have communion together. Well, that's going to be interesting, right? It means that you've got to provide the elements. And so I want to encourage you, if you have some crackers around the house, you can use those. If you have some grape juice or, or something uh, of that order that you can use, then I would encourage you use that uh, for your communion time. Now, I would encourage you to have to necessarily go to the store. If you can use water, just use water because Jesus actually turned water to wine. So it's kind of in its pre-wine state, pre-fruit uh, of the vine state. So I would encourage you just use crackers and water or something like that. Uh, you can use whatever you have available. I would encourage you, please don't use Doritos and Dr. Pepper or something like that. But, uh, but use uh, something, uh, have it available because next Sunday we will be celebrating the Lord's table uh, together. And so encourage you to do that. Well, as uh, uh, Matt talked about, we're going to be doing a series called The Heart of Worship. 
Now, this series is really a fleshing out of what Greg Lingle talked about last week and the weeks before when he talked about uh, this uh, idea that we are going to be Jesus followers or followers of Jesus. And what does that entail? Well, what that entails is we believe that to be a Jesus follower, we believe that we need to abide in Christ. John 15 talks about that, how we need to abide in Christ. We need to belong to one another in that relationship with one another. And then that idea of impacting the world and you see the different arrows as they they focus in the different direction and this God this this abide has the idea the implication uh, or the application of being a God focus and this belonging idea has this idea of community focus which has been kind of interesting in the given situation that we're in under quarantine being sequestered in our homes and so I want to encourage you to seek out community as we can through Zoom with your small group. If you're not a part of a small group, find one uh, or, or get in touch with the women's ministry and, and do that on Wednesday nights. Uh, they're doing that with Zoom as well. And then impacting that we will reach beyond ourselves. God gives us opportunities and we pray for those. So how does worship fit into that? Well, worship fits into that because as you look at some of the uh, focuses, if, uh, if we're going to be a Jesus follower and we're going to have a God focus, that means that we're involved in prayer and reading the word of God. And so that's talking to God in prayer and then listening to God by listening to his word. Uh, and so um, the idea of being a Jesus follower in terms of belong has the idea of gathering. Now, as we, as we said before, it's hard for us to gather except electronically. And so I tell you, I'm really looking forward to that moment in that time when we will gather together, when we will collectively be together again to be able to fellowship together, to be able to encourage one another, to be able to stir one another on to good, and, uh, good works. And so I want to encourage you, look forward to that time. But in the meantime, we gather electronically. So this idea of worship combines or uses two of these different areas. It has the idea of abiding when we pray and when we uh, worship God and when we listen to him through his word uh, together. And then it has this idea of belonging, that we're doing it together. We're not just worshiping God separately, going to a private place, a, 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 a place that's our own. And, and this day, that's what it tends to be. But this idea of worship is the idea of together, that we do it together. I'll, we'll look at Matthew 18 in our last message in this series and that idea of two or three gathering together. Jesus had in mind that, it, that worship would be a collective thing that we do together. And I can tell you, I long to hear your voices. I long to hear again uh, and worship again with you. And so uh, we pray to that end and we look forward to that day when that will happen. Well, as we deal with this series, the, uh, the song, the last song that we sang, I love that song by Matt Redman. Uh, Matt Redman was a, and is a, I think, worship pastor, songwriter uh, in, uh, in England. And he, he wrote this last song that we sang. And I love this idea when he starts out and he says, when the music fades and all is stripped away. 
They had a time in their church with he and his, his pastor, Mike Pilavachi. They had this time where they decided, you know what? We need to strip away everything and just get back to the heart of worship. And so they took away all the lighting. They took away all the hazers, which uh, sends a mist into the room so that you could see the light beams. They, they took away the, the, all the trappings. Uh, the band was no longer on stage and it was just their voices. And they wanted to get back to this heart of worship, this longing after God that, that uh, Matt just uh, talked about in Psalm 27, this longing for his beauty, this desiring God, because that's after all what worship really is. Worship is really just desiring our God. And I think so many times we let other things get in the way and we get in and we think, well, the room's hot or we think uh, uh, this, this isn't going well or the singer's a little flat or the guitar's a little off or it's too loud or too soft or whatever it is. And we make it about all these other things. And it's just about desiring him, desiring the God of the universe. And when we lose that, we notice everything else. And when we have that, we notice nothing else except him. I want to encourage you as you're in these times in your home and, and you're worshiping with your family, when the singing starts, don't just watch the singing. Don't just watch Matt sing or whoever's singing or Josh sing. I want to encourage you, stand up in your homes, sing the words out. You may be thinking, well, my family doesn't want me to do that because I'm not a very good singer. I can tell you that some of the most precious times of singing were standing next to my dad. He could not carry a tune to save his life. His singing was, was awful. It was, it was not musical. It was, it was off. It was flat or sharp or whatever. Sometimes I couldn't even tell if it was a note. But man, he sang with his heart. He sang with his whole heart. And I love standing next to that man and hearing him worship God. And I think about how times since then there will be people that stand next to me and they can't carry a tune and and they sing with all their heart and then they kind of turn to me and apologize because they can tell that I I can kind of sing okay and 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 they can't and and I just I just tell them I just say stop please I just want you to know I was very blessed by your singing I was very blessed because you sang with your heart you weren't trying to impress me with the notes or the music or anything you just sang your heart and I love that because that's what my dad did. And it, it reminds me of him as well. I was blessed today. And I, I want you to have that tradition as a family where you're just singing together and you're just singing your heart. And it doesn't have to be beautiful. In fact, Psalm 100 says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Well, we can do that, right? Maybe not be a joyful music, but it can be a joyful noise that we're singing our hearts to God. And I think that that's why when I was looking at, at psalms and worship, I and I want to get back to the heart of worship, a, a psalm that really stood out to me was Psalm 42. And so I want to encourage you, turn with me to Psalm 42 so that we can, we can look at it together and see the heart of the worshiper uh, in this psalm. And it's, it's a heart of a worshiper that's going through a very difficult period. And I know that we're going through a tough time. That some of you may have lost your jobs already. Some of you have been furloughed. Some of you are struggling financially a little bit because uh, uh, your businesses are not doing as well. You're not getting as many customers in. And so this struggle prevails. It's financial. Or you're sitting in the home and you're under a lot of stress because you're, you're dealing with teaching kids and you weren't 
cut out to be a teacher and yet now you're spending hours of day just trying to get your help your kids with their homework and helping them to, to teach them these different things that your teachers are passing along to you. And, and so you find yourself not only doing your job, but then also trying to teach and then also trying to work from home. And I mean, just all these different things and you find your stress level up. Some of you, your stress level's down and you've, you've spent more time with the Lord and you've had more time and you get projects done around the home. And so it's, it's a different thing. One thing that I found is that, and I was thinking about this week, our pets are going to go through a real difficulty. Their time of difficulty is not now. They're loving it. We're all home. Their master's home. They're, the ones they love are in the house all day. The hard part for them is when we leave. They're not worried about the virus. They're just glad to be with us. And I thought that's what we need to be with the Lord. Just glad to be with him. Glad to be near him. Not worried about this virus. Not worried about the future. Not worried about all these things. But just craving him. And it's these times that are difficult that cause us to crave him more. In fact, I'm thankful for hard times because I think if it weren't for hard times, there would never have been a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And some of the things that we find from our God is that he doesn't just deliver us from, he delivers us through. I love that statement that somebody said that it's not, we don't want to live in the even ifs, even if this happens. No, it's even though. In Psalm 23, he doesn't say, even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. That's the comfort. Even though, even though those times happen, these times are going to happen in our lives and we need to be ready for them. And when everything's stripped away, it causes us to focus on him and on who he is. And so let's look together at Psalm 42, a beautiful psalm. I love the way it opens. It says, as a deer pants for the flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before my God? And then he reveals what he struggles with. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. There's, there's some struggles today. There's some struggles in us. My tears have been my, uh, my food. There are some of you that have gone through Tearful times through this struggle. You may have uh, people that, loved ones that have been uh, in the hospital or in other places where you can't get to them and, and, uh, and you're wondering, are they gonna die alone? In fact, I, I, I read something or I heard somebody recently say that one of the most insidious things about this virus is people die alone. We can't go to be with them. We can't, and we struggle with that. And so it causes us to be tearful. It causes us to be mournful. And we think, here's what the psalmist is. He's tearful. And in fact, you look down, he says in verse 6, my soul is cast down. You look a little further in verse 9, why do I go mourning? You look at Psalm 43, which I believe was originally part of Psalm 42. We've got it separated in our English Bibles. And in some Hebrew Bibles, it's one psalm. And in fact, in this English Bible, uh, you notice that there's a recurring phrase, a recurring statement. We see it in verse five, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. We see him say it again at the end of the Psalm in verse 11, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. 
He says it at the end of Psalm 43, which is why I think it ties it all together. He says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. One of the things I want to encourage you to do, take that statement, because this is him speaking to himself, saying, hope in God. He's telling himself this self-talk, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Write this down. Put it somewhere where you can see it and say it every single day. Say it over and over to yourself. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. It's a statement of faith. It's not a statement based on something that's occurring. It's something based on what has not happened yet that he's looking forward to. It's a statement of faith. And so I want to encourage you, say it with me. Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Amen? That's a place for an amen. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Here he is, a guy who's, who's seeking after God, who loves God, who wants to be with him. He's panting after God. That word panting means to be overwhelmed. It means to be dehydrated. That's a picture of this deer who's dehydrated. He's overstressed. He's overwhelmed by life. And, he's, and he's, he's longing for God at those moments that we are, are struggling. That's when we begin to long for our God. We begin to long for him. He says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. He's not just talking about any old God. He's not, in, in fact, in ancient times, and you see it in, in modern times in certain cultures where they'll have these little figurines that are supposedly their gods and they, they put them in a little niche somewhere in their business or somewhere in their home or somewhere in, their, uh, in ancient times in their threshing floor and they would, they would put these gods or goddesses in these different places and they would look to them and the psalmist, the psalm writer, the sons of Korah are saying, no, I want the living God, not just some little figurine, not something made of stone or wood. I want the living God. That's who I'm longing for. That's who I'm looking for. And in fact, if we're going to worship God, the thing that we're going to need to do is we need to focus on who he is, not just the circumstance we're going through. You see, that the, the psalm writer here is beginning to talk about who God is and how he relates to us. Worship is about exalting who he is. And so he calls him here in verse 2, the living God. A little further down, he calls him the God of my life in verse 8. I love that phrase, the God of my life. My rock in verse 9. In, chapter, in Psalm 43, he calls him God, my exceeding joy. I want to encourage you right now on the comment section to begin to put phrases, especially out of the Psalms that you remember, that talk about who God is. Uses phrases like this or calls him a refuge or a fortress that calls God certain things. And then I want to encourage you to do something else in your worship and in your prayers. I want you to use those phrases, those names of God. We typically will just say, dear God, or dear Jesus, help me with, or I thank you for, and we're, we're instantly off of worship, and we're quickly on to Thanksgiving, and we're quickly on to, to um, our requests. And those are fine, and those are great. But I want to encourage you, camp Camp a little longer, linger a little longer on who God is. 
And I hope that you're encouraged as you see people writing in the comment section, God is this and God is this. And statements that you see in scripture that you remember from scripture, not just your own phrases, but who God says he is. And then add them to your prayer life and call him those things. Oh God, my fortress. Oh God, my rock. Oh God, my exceeding joy. Oh God, the living God, I look to you. Wow, there's power in that. When we begin to look at who God is, he becomes large and everything else becomes fairly small. But when we're so focused on our fears, they become huge and we think of God as small or non-existent. Because that's what the psalmist is struggling with. In fact, there are people that are saying to him, as we see at the end of verse 3, where's your God? So where is he at times like this? We got a virus going on. Where's God? Well, you know, the psalmist was kind of wondering that himself. The sons of Korah. This guy, sons of Korah, those guys were the worship leaders in Israel. They were a family of worship leaders from way back. It was tradition and, and it was something that they were selected out by the kings, by the rulers, that these are the sons of Korah and, and this, this family is going to be the worship leaders. It's kind of like the Jonas brothers, I guess. They're all brothers and they all sing. And so the sons of Korah, all family, all sing, but yet they also led in worship. And we see that because he, he says this. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. And so he's remembering those times where he was leading the people of God and they were worshiping together. And he would pour out his heart. He'd pour out his soul. He says, I remember this. At those times that we struggle, we need to take time to remember. We need to remember being with one another. Remember those times of worship that were really precious to us when we were with the body of Christ, with the family of God. In fact, he goes on in, in verse 6, he says, Therefore I remember, and it's like these things I remember. Therefore I remember. It's this idea of remembering. Part of worship is remembering who God is and remembering what he has done. And you think, well, where is this guy? Isn't he with the people of God? Why is he remembering how he used to be? Well, he's not actually. In verse 6, he says, My soul is cast down, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of, of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. And you think, wait a minute, where are all these places? Well, I want to show you a picture of Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon's in the northernmost region of Israel. It's a mountain range, actually. It's not just one mountain. It's a mountain range. Here's a picture that somebody took that when it's completely covered with snow. Right now, in Israel, Mount Hermon is the playground of Israel. That's where people go to go snow skiing. And in fact, that Mount Hermon is, is, uh, borders three different countries. It borders Israel. It borders uh, Syria. It borders Lebanon. And so the, uh, the Israeli side, they've got their own little section. Mount Mizar is apparently one of the peaks of that mountain range. Uh, commentators are not sure exactly which one but somewhere along this mountain range and you think well if he's got all this snow why is he craving water or why is he but he's why would the deer be craving water but during the winter time 
or during the summertime, uh, just the caps, the tops of the mountains are snow covered and the rest is green or the rest is different. Doesn't have all the snow all over it. But this is the picture that he has in mind. That he is there. He is, in fact, we know that that's where he is. He says, from the land of Jordan. That's where the psalmist is. Now, wait a minute. That's a long way from Jerusalem. That's on the northernmost part of the, of the nation. In fact, Dan is the, the last, is the last uh, uh, or, or the edge of Israel during, in those days. It was from Dan to Beersheba. We see that over and over in Scripture. Dan to Beersheba. Well, this is a mountain range that's north of Dan. It's even a little bit further. He's just kind of out of the picture. What happened to him? What happened to this songwriter, this, this song singer, this worship leader of Israel? What happened to him? This son of Korah. Well, apparently he was under attack. Apparently there was something going on and he was uh, under attack uh, because we see through this psalm that people are saying, where is your God? And then he speaks to himself in verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? So now he's, first he says what they're saying, and then he says what he's saying, where, why are you cast down? And then he speaks to God and says in verse 9, why have you forgotten me? It's like all these people are saying, where is God? And he's going, I'm kind of wondering that myself. And then in verse 10, he says, where is your God? Again, asking the question and he asked himself the same question that he asked before. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why am I here? Why am I struggling? And then in Psalm 43, he says in verse 2, Why have you rejected me? And so he's asking the same question. First he's saying what they're saying, where's your God? And then he's saying, why am I cast down? And then he's, then he's asking God, why have you forgotten me? Why have you rejected me? At times that we struggle are those times that we think that God doesn't care anymore, that he's forgotten us, that he's rejected us, that somehow we're not even on his radar screen anymore. Even though Jesus says, I will never leave you or ever forsake you. Even though God says, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil because I am with you. His presence is there. It's just that we're not aware of his presence. There was a whole... Uh, years ago, this idea of practicing the presence of God. And, and I think we need to do that, not just practice, but be aware of his presence. That we say to ourselves right now in our homes, God is here. Amen? God is here. He is among us. He is with us. He is here with me, with my family. He is here with me, even if I'm by myself. He is here. He has not forgotten you. He has not rejected you. He has not left you. He is with us. And as you go stir crazy in your homes, know that he is with you. He will never leave you or ever forsake you. But here he is in Mount Hermon. And what does he remember? What does he recall? He says, deep calls to deep. I love that phrase. Deep calls to deep. There's this deep part of us, and we're not always aware of it. We've got so many activities going on in life. It's easy to, to, to ignore it. That's why I think that those who wait on the Lord, when we begin to wait on him, we find strength because we begin to stop and we slow down long enough to take time to be with him. I think that's the reason for a, a daily time with the Lord. 
A daily time where we pray and we read his word and that we do that with our families and, and we just slow down and we just focus on him. Like the old Simon and Garfunkel song, slow down, you're moving too fast. Gotta make the morning last. It's just slowing down, being in his presence. Jesus did that. He did that to be with the Father. We see that in Mark 135 where a great while before day, he, he spent time with God. He spent time with the Father. He didn't need that time. He is God, and yet he spent time with the Father as an example for us that we need that kind of time to just slow down, to just focus on him. And to notice that deep that's within us that's crying out for God, that deep within us that longs for God, that deep within us that wants to be with him, that craves him. Deep calls to deep. His deep calls to our deep. When we take that time, we'll begin to sense that longing, that drawing of God on our hearts. And I encourage you, respond to that. Respond to him. He longs to be with you. He longs to, to love you. He longs for you to understand his presence. He longs for you to be with him. And deep down, you long for that too. Deep down in your heart, we all have this longing, this God-shaped vacuum that we try to fill with everything else. We try to fill it in order to be satisfied, but our only satisfaction comes when we Allow God to take that place that's designed for him in our hearts. A God-shaped vacuum, a God-shaped hole that only God satisfies, only God fills. Deep calls to deed. It's deep. At the sound of your waterfalls, it says, there's a picture in mind, I think, that the psalmist has. If he goes a little bit south to Dan... There's a waterfall at Dan. In fact, there's two waterfalls in Israel, two major ones. This one at Dan, and we wouldn't consider it a major one if you've ever been to Hawaii or some of these huge volcanoes, I mean, huge uh, uh, waterfalls. You'll, you'll think, oh, well, this one's not that big. But when you see Israel and you realize this is uh, just a little ways from here, it's the Judean wilderness and this desert, this is a, a refreshing thing. There's another one at, at Engedi, and the two, these two waterfalls, one south near the Dead Sea and the other one north. And he says, as he looks at this, he says, at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves. So now he gets another picture, and that picture is a picture of the Mediterranean Sea, of the, of the waters, just the waves coming in over and over, just picturing God's faithfulness every wave, just reminding faithfulness, faithfulness, faithfulness. The waves don't stop hitting and God's faithfulness does not stop coming. His, his mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so he has this idea, this picture. And so we see that this deep calls to deep. He's not there in Jerusalem. But he knows this deep that God is calling to him, even where he's at, that it reminds him of the waterfalls, of the beauty of that, the beauty of the Lord that Matt talked about in Psalm 27. The waves that, that are coming over and over. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, verse 8. And at night, his song is with me. And at night, those times are those times that we worry the most. We can't go back to sleep and we're struggling. His song is with us in those moments. 
in those dark moments when we're longing for daylight, we're longing to to get over some of the fears or some of the panic that we feel, his song is with us. And that song with us is a prayer to the God of my life. Very personal psalm here where he talks about the God of my life, my rock, uh, the living God, my refuge. And And he has this personal tender relationship with God. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock. Say that right now. My rock. My rock. Whenever everything else seems like it's up in the air, daily we get news that something else has changed. God is a rock. He's our fortress. He's our sure foundation. He's our firm, uh, uh, the one that we depend upon. We know that he's going to be there. And this psalmist longs to be in Jerusalem. He looks forward to that day when he'll be back with the worshipers. In fact, he says in in Psalm 43, he says, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. So we see a little bit of what he's wrestling with, that he needs to be vindicated, defended. And he's asking uh, uh, for that. He says, From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? And then he he asks this. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Which means he's willing to follow. Going to be a Jesus follower. He's going to be a God follower. So he wants to follow. And so God, give me the wisdom. Give me the light. Give me the truth. And I will follow you. Is what he's saying. Let them bring me to your holy hill. He's talking about Jerusalem now. The temple mount where the temple was. And to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre. Oh God my God. That idea of my God again. The personal relationship. The focus there. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Say this with me. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. That's how we get through times like this. Is we follow the lead of this psalmist, a son of Korah, who was in a very dark place. He was in a mountain range far away from from, uh, Jerusalem. He was struggling with tears and depression and, and this overwhelmed feeling. And yet he's craving God. He's craving that moment when he will be back with the people of God, worshiping alongside of them. And he knows that day is going to come. I hope in God, and I know I will again praise him. And it may or may not be with the people of God. Sometimes we pray for outcomes rather than praying for relationship with God. And I want us, as everything is stripped away during these days, as we have these Sundays together electronically, I want us to take some time to develop the heart of a worshiper. The heart of one who longs and seeks the beauty of the Lord. The one who, and you think, well, that's just not in me. How do I get that? How do I get there? You take time to focus on who God is. The living God. My God. The God of my life. My rock. My fortress. 
my refuge, my exceeding joy, that you began to focus on the person of who God is. So do that. And then take time to remember. Remember those times where you worshiped with the people of God and they were meaningful, deep, and rich times for you. And then take time to, re, to remember. It says, I remember you from the land of Mizar. So when we're in the difficult times, we remember him. Job was in difficult times. He had lost everything. And his focus was on the Lord. Daniel, uh, during those days when he was thrown in the lion's den, his focus was on the Lord. He wasn't delivered from, but he was delivered through. And because of that, we read his story over and over. We read the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over and over. We read these stories over and over because we saw the hand of God work. It's at those moments of darkness, at those moments of struggle, at those moments of being overwhelmed that we know that God is here. And just know this, there are many who are saying, uh, God won't give you more than you can handle. I see it on the internet. I want you to know this, God does give us more than than we can handle, but he never gives us more than he can handle when we trust him. I love uh, in 2 Corinthians 1, a passage that, that God has uh, touched my heart with. In 2 Corinthians 1, we see uh, the Apostle Paul as he struggles with the different things in life. And with these things in life that he, he struggles with, he's finding himself overwhelmed. In fact, he uses several phrases through that. He says, we are under great pressure and we were utterly burdened far beyond our strength. Far beyond our strength. Can God give you more than he can handle? Yes. Will he? Yes. Why? He goes on and says, we despaired of life. We had received the sentence of death. But this was so that we would not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So God will give us more than we can handle, but it's so that we'll rely on him. Otherwise, we'd just rely on us. And we rely on the one who we know who he is. My rock, my fortress, my exceeding joy then we find peace and comfort in those words because they are who our God is. Now, in 1 Corinthians 10, it does say we won't be tempted beyond what we're able, but with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape so that we may be able to endure it. And so as we think about these times, don't worry that you're overwhelmed. That happens in life. Focus at those times on him. Focus on on being with him. Focus on growing in him and focusing on who he is. Remember those times when you've worshiped with the people of God. And take this phrase and say to yourself in your, those, those quiet moments when, you're, when you find yourself saying all these other things about your life and all these things about your fears that you would say, hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Father, we come to you this morning and we focus upon who you are. We focus upon the fact that you are our refuge. You are our strength. You are our exceeding joy. And Lord, I pray that we would worship you at these times when you're taking us through, not away from That we depend on you because we know you're the God who is here. We know that you're the living God. You're not dead. We know that Jesus rose from the grave. And so I want, I I pray, Father, that you would help us. At these moments in our lives when we're not able to gather, to be able to just focus on you.
and that we gather electronically, that we focus on you as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ. Lord, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for desiring us. Thank you for placing within us this craving for God. When your deep calls to our deep, help us to respond. We love you and we worship you today. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.